This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 25 to 30 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited uh, to be announcing, well, not announcing the winners of the comp, but uh, wrapping up what was a very uh, exciting six weeks for us. Absolutely. We've made it to the end of Australia's next top data. As you said, six weeks ago, we kicked off on the 11th of March and as did hundreds of other pl- other players from around the country, um, mostly from universities. And uh, some of them were trading for the very first time. So our goal was to, I guess, encourage those that hadn't traded for the first time to dip their toe into the water and at least place a single trade over the six-week period. And um, hopefully some of them have done that and been successful at it, Ren. I know that uh, you've certainly been more successful than I have, but we'll we'll come to that a bit later on. Um, (laughs) So I guess, Ren, today we want to, as you said, wrap up the six weeks. Um, As always, we'll do a market update uh, for the last sort of five days of trading or four days because of the Easter break. Um, We'll look at what sort of happened over the the six weeks of trading, some of the stock tips that Matt gave. Uh, We'll review our portfolios and um, have a bit of a chat about some of the lessons that we've learned um, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sounds good. Do you want to start with what happened last week and then we'll sort of zoom out and talk about the six weeks? Yes, sure. So S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were both relatively flat. We didn't have trading last night because of the Easter break. And apologies, I did send an email out to all traders saying that uh, last night was the last night of trading, completely forgetting that it was the Easter break. <laughs> so a bit of a boo-boo there. But anyway, four days of trading and markets were, were pretty flat. Oil bounced a little bit off last week. The Mueller report come out, Ren. So Trump was on fire on Twitter. I'm not sure what impact that really had on markets, though. Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, no, we'll save it for the politics podcast, but it's a mess out there. It is, it is. <laughs> so, do you have any update from last week? No, I think what you said was uh, basically summed it up. S&P down 0.1%, NASDAQ up 0.2%, Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average up 0.6%. So, everyone had a pretty quiet week going into Easter. But in saying that, uh, if we get into the individual companies and sectors, there was some interesting stuff. So should we do that? Yeah, let's do it. So I think we'll start with the good and then we'll get into the bad. Semiconductors, they <laughs> have had a good week and they've they've actually been doing pretty well for the past six weeks. But last week, the semiconductor index was up 4.1%. So that's an index made up of companies that produce semi semiconductors the big driver there was apple and qualcomm settled an intellectual property dispute that had been dragging on for a while and qualcomm jumped up 39 percent on the news so if you had put all your eggs in the qualcomm basket you may have won the competition in the last week wow unfortunately i didn't so <laughs> i didn't win the competition and then also in that semiconductor index uh intel did quite well and jumped about five percent 
on news that it was dropping out of the 5G modem business. So semiconductors had a good week. In terms of who had a bad week, healthcare just continues to get pumped. Yeah. Last week, we talked about how the sector was down 2.4%. This week, another shocker, down 4.4%. And that was despite some pretty positive earnings results from companies like Johnson & Johnson, United Health, and Abbott Labs. So if we think about why that's the case, there is just so much uncertainty in the US healthcare sector. You know, there's presidential candidates talking about getting rid of private health insurance, talking about Medicare for all and all these big policy proposals. Uh, Trump got rid of Obamacare, got rid of the individual mandate, but didn't put anything in its place. So it's just, there's so much uncertainty in the market. And, you know, Mm. as an investor, you're trying to... uh, It's the last thing you want. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, your whole you, your whole investing thesis is based on predicting the future. Yeah, and so the more uncertainty you have, the more risk that goes into it. The the looser your assumptions have to be, and the bigger range of outcomes that could come about. And you got to price that risk in, and the market's pricing that risk in. And until there's some more certainty, which doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon, um, healthcare is a tough place to be. But in saying that, potentially there's some uh, value opportunities that will come up if it keeps sliding so much. Yeah, good point. Another another sort of big headline for the week was that companies started reporting their Q1 earnings results. So uh, if you were investing based on companies that were reporting, you had a lot to choose from. And surprisingly, a lot of companies continue to beat expectations, even though people keep talking about growth slowing and stuff like that. So, you know, some of the companies that you've probably heard of that beat uh, earnings estimates are Union Pacific, Honeywell, Morgan Stanley, Unilever, American Express, Nestle. They all beat expectations. And for some of them, expectations may have been set pretty low, but, you know, pretty, pretty positive when uh, the number of companies continue to beat expectations. Yeah, for all this chat that's been going on for a while now about oh this fear of or expectation of slow slowing growth and and whatnot, I certainly don't see it translating into results. So it's making it difficult to. I, I guess you've just got to go with what the what the data's showing, and that's showing that things are pretty good at the moment. Um, it's it's a difficult situation to invest, I think, when there's such conflicting uh, opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. So a couple of bad points for me, three quick ones that I reckon are notable, not not just for the competition, but also longer term. So number one, Netflix, they beat revenue expectations, but their shares fell 9%, and that was uh, based on expectations for the future. Uh, they've recently increased their prices in the US. Uh, Disney's announced their streaming service, and so investors are expecting... Uh, not as many quarters where they beat expectations going forward. So their share price fell 9%. A company that a lot of people probably haven't heard of, I hadn't really heard of, but I think is notable, are Pier 1 Imports, which is a US retailer with close to 1,000 stores, has announced that it will close up to 15% of their stores after losing $70 million in a quarter. Wow. You keep hearing about the Amazon effect. You keep hearing about the retail apocalypse. This is another big US retailer that is closing a lot of stores. So it just continues, this trend just continues of physical retailers struggling to compete with their cheaper online competition. Mm. And then third bad update, and this one probably hits close to home for you, Bryce, Sketches, your favourite <laughs> shoe brand, <laughs> fell uh, 12% after missing both revenue and earnings figures. So I guess you haven't been shoe shopping for a while. No, Ren, I haven't bought a pair of sketches for a long time. Maybe ever. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so their net income went backwards from seventy-five cents a share this time last year to seventy-one cents a share. But you know what? What? That it is a uh, short-term bad news for sketches. But you zoom out a little bit, and they're actually they were up fifty-four percent year to date uh, before. The, they fell 12%. So there you go. as a shareholder, which I know you are, oh, you are you can't be too you upset. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, very good. <laughs> so yeah, a lot happening in the 
US market at the moment. Well, there's always a lot happening, but with Q1, quarter one earnings reports this week, next week, and um, the week after, we'll, uh, we'll get a lot of interesting stuff coming out. A good opportunity to test your thesis, to see some long-term trends emerging. And next week, approximately a third of the S&P 500 companies will be reporting so there'll be a lot of news out. Whoa. And one that I'm going to be paying particularly close attention to, uh, Boeing report on the 24th of April. Yeah. So that'll be very interesting to see uh, what's happened there. Yeah. Nice, Ren. Great wrap. A third of the S&P 500 reporting next week. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's a lot. A lot to contend with. The the ever... Uh, evolving and, and constantly rolling reporting cycle of the US. It always provides a lot of entertainment. So much, so much. But the important thing is we can't <laughs> yeah. get too bogged down in the the quarter-by-quarter quarter stuff. Well, I mean, we can and yeah. people make a lot of money doing it. But for me, it's all about confirming longer-term trends rather than how much money do they make this week, next week, you know. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Nice, Ren. So let's uh, take a step back and zoom out a bit and have a look at what the markets were doing over the total six weeks of competition. So we have the S&P 500 was up 4.37% and the NASDAQ 100 was up 7.34%. So some pretty decent gains there if you parked your money in an ETF that follows both indexes or an ETF that was leveraged on both indexes, you would have certainly done reasonably well without having to worry too much about individual stock picking. There was a lot that went on during that period, but I don't think there's a need to go into the detail because we did that sort of over the last six weeks. I think one thing for for comparison's sake, it's uh, if people want to know how that performance is in context, the ASX 200, so the Australian market, was only up 1.3% in that time. So the US market uh, significantly outperformed Australia. Interesting start. That's, that's, yeah, wow. So that just goes to show the size of the US the and the amount of money that's going through it. It's just so much bigger than the Australian stock market. There's so many more companies to invest in from a global perspective and a lot of money pouring in. And that's one of the reasons I think why we both like the US. There's a lot more happening and a lot more going on. Not to say there's anything wrong with the ASX, but yeah, over what, six weeks, it's only up one point whatever percent it, it was. So if you'd parked your money there, you'd be flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. So do you have anything to add from a total perspective, Ren? So I think one thing that we touched on uh, every now and then in the six weeks was oil, and yeah. it, it had a great six weeks, but it's probably worth just now that we've had the six weeks, how, how much it has performed well. So West Texas Intermediate, which is one of the main forms of oil that's traded, was up 12.8% in the six weeks, and Brent Crude, which is another of the main forms of oil that's traded was up 7.6% in the six weeks. So if you had invested in oil, you would have actually outperformed the US market. So not good if you're trying to fill up your car at the petrol station, but pretty good if you're... Filling your bank uh, account. Yeah, or if you're, you know, Saudi Arabia or the US shale industry or Russia or, you know, any of those big oil producing countries. And one of the big stocks that we talk about in terms of oil is OILU, O-I-L-U. It's a three times leveraged uh, index on stake. So it has done very well over the last six weeks or even since the start of the year really would have made a decent return. Okay, Ren. So I want to just touch on a couple of stocks very quickly that we have uh, spoken about and that's Matt from Stake, uh, expert trader, has sort of given us advice or tips on, uh, not a buy, hold or sell recommendation at all, but just sort of these were on his watch list. And this is from the expert's mouth. So the first one was the innovative industrial properties, exposure to weed uh, in the cannabis industry. And over the last six weeks, it was up 10%. So if you'd parked your money in there, would have done reasonably well. However, CanTrust, which was a, another weed-related stock that IPO'd just before the competition, was down 20%. So if you'd had your money in that, uh, hopefully you had a stock loss. He then had the Danaher Corp. It was up 0.35%. Uh, Alter Salon up 13%. Tandem Diabetes Care was one that he, he, he recommended. It was down 21%. So overall, uh, if you'd had your money in all of them, you'd be reasonably flat. Just goes to show that you don't need to pick all winners. Um, some of them are 
you know, have done reasonably well, others not so. But uh, if you'd covered your bases and gone both, um, you would have come out reasonably flat. So, yeah, we spoke about those. There you go. Were you in any of them? Uh, I was in Innovative Industrial Properties that was up 10% overall. However, it's important to note that that 10% had some significant slides in it as well, and I had a stop loss on it, so I got stopped out maybe three weeks ago. Lesson learned, I guess, is to make sure your stop loss limits are are taken into consideration so that you don't get stopped too early, which we always talk about, and that was it. I didn't get in any of the others. Fair enough. One more stock run I want to talk about, which we spoke about maybe two weeks ago, was Lyft. So Lyft IPO'd. Uh, it's the ride-sharing company, competitor with Uber, and we all know, Ren, that you were desperate to get in on the act um, <laughs> and thought it was going to be your winning move. Luckily, you didn't because since it's IPO'd, it's now down 25%. So, things not going too well for Lyft, and I'm really looking forward to doing an episode on Uber, Ren, because the more I read about the way that they're trying to structure this IPO and the incentives that they're giving to the CEO and all their drivers... Uh, it sounds like they're trying to inflate the value of the company for a sort of external reasons, exit, I guess, reasons. Really keen to hear your thoughts, but I think we should dedicate another episode to that. Yeah, 100%. Well, uh, we'll, we'll save most of it for the next episode, but it's come out that uh, the new CEO, he gets a $100 million bonus. $100 million, yeah. $100 million if if the company is valued at $120 billion when it goes public. So... But the, the kicker with that is it has to maintain that valuation for 90 days. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that's so tough. tough. And, the, and the other thing that I want to discuss is they're, they're giving $420 million in cash bonuses next week to drivers around the world in, with the hope that they then use the money to buy into the IPO and drive oh, and, okay. and, yeah, and drive uh, demand that way. So like, it just seems like there's this desire to hit this valuation, I guess, because everyone who's invested wants to get their return now. It's been a while since they started and you know they're still losing money, but sounds like there's this hidden desire, well, underlying current of let's just make as much money as we can, obviously. But anyway, let's, let's let's save that for later. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, and while you're talking about tech IPOs, uh, Pinterest uh, went oh, yeah. uh, public this week. I think it, it was valued at like $10 billion. What? Um, uh, yeah, and the shares, the shares jumped 25% or something on the opening day. Now, I don't use Pinterest. Obviously, there's a lot of value there, but I've got to say I was surprised it was valued at $10 billion. $10 billion. That's yeah. ridiculous. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of chat these days about tech IPOs and you know some have done quite well, but there's a lot that are, haven't done well. Um, and there's, yeah, you know, there's, there's talk about where the value is coming from at the IPO and yeah. they seem to all jump very quickly when they first go public and then have have a slow descent afterwards. Yeah, fizzle. Um, so maybe we can, we'll talk about that in a tech IPO episode and think how to think about investing in them and what to watch out for. But it is an interesting time uh, to be watching this space and I'm sure there are some people who look back at the, you know, early 2000s and look at some of those IPOs and see echoes, shall we say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was going to talk about uh, Bill Ackman as well, but we'll leave that. It's another interesting uh, story that's come out over the last sort of three months. But let's jump into some lessons, Ren, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, maybe we'll go a couple of lessons each, uh, if you have any, from the well, last we six gonna, weeks. Are we going to have to talk about where we finished up in the competition? <laughs> I know you're I was, trying to I was avoid hoping that. you didn't. I was yeah, hoping yeah, you yeah. didn't right, we'll do we'll do lessons and then we'll uh, we'll finish on that note. Okay. So, a uh, big lesson for me is uh, and I've probably said this before but I'm not good at short-term trading. I've I've learned that about myself and I I think when things do come off, it is luck more than skill. So, I have a lot of respect for people who can systematize the short-term stuff and really, you know, perform. But in saying that, the biggest thing for me is because it's more luck than skill and I'm not great at it, uh, having a stop loss in there was critical for me to just limit the extent of my mistakes. Yeah, good point. 
And did you feel that you did reasonably well at figuring out what size stop loss to put on? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it was sort of, you know, how volatile is it? 5%, 10%. Um, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of science behind it. And I think if if this was something that I wanted to pursue, I would be jumping into a lot of books and really trying to get a good understanding of how some of the experts do it. But for me, I am pretty happy being patient and investing for with a longer term horizon and, you know, trying to find companies that I think will grow. That that just makes sense to me. Trying to figure out trading volume and the charts and do all that just isn't as intuitive to me. So yeah. I'm just going to stay in my lane and uh, – do, do what makes sense for me. Yeah, nice one. Okay, so one of mine, I think, Ren, this is one we always talk about, and generally speaking, is is to forget the stock pickings. Last time we did a short-term trading competition like this, uh, absolutely bond because, as you said, we were relying primarily on the luck side of things more than the intellectual thinking side of things. And my approach this year was to try and remain, as you said, in our lane and pick stocks that were a bit more in line with our investing strategy. And what I mean by that is I think you and I are both reasonably good at understanding the broader macro environment and economic trends and and dialing in on industries and, and whatnot. And in a shorter period of time and there are a number of stocks available that let you take advantage of these trends and particularly with some leveraged products and you can make some decent returns. So my lesson was to at least find stocks that allowed me to play to my strengths and that would be, you know, oil, for example, was a good one. Um, the NASDAQ, you know, we both recognized that these were trending and vice versa if they were, you know, going in on a downward trend, then there's stocks available yet for you to take advantage of that. But yeah, first lesson I think was uh, was that. There you go. Um, any other lessons from you? One that you often talk about, um, and that is to copy others. And you know, there's nothing wrong with with in the investing world. You know, trying to be original or trying to be the the outlier. If if things are going well for someone and and they're an expert and whatnot, then if you don't, in such a short period of time, um, without having the knowledge and skill, uh, copying someone else is is certainly a strategy you could follow. And as we saw, the, the, the stock tips that our expert Matt had given, there were some absolute winners in there. So uh, I think a lesson there is certainly take advantage of those sorts of opportunities when they come and, and back them in just as much as you back yourself in. Yeah, nice one. So... Uh, in in summing this up, let's before we say where we came out, uh, I want to set the range. So the the highest performer, uh, what got about thirty six percent improvement in the six weeks. Yeah, uh, and then the lowest performer managed to lose ninety four percent of their money. So. <laughs> really? Look, if, yeah, yeah. If, if that person's out there, um, oh, reach out to us and I'd love to just hear what your strategy was and how you managed to lose 94% because I reckon that that's difficult to do, to lose that much in six weeks. Yeah, that's hard. Well, we, yeah. we'll try and reach out to them. We'll have their details. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in Look, touch. If you don't want to talk about it, I, I understand, but it would be interesting to uh, to know. So anyway, so that's that's the range from negative ninety four percent to plus thirty six percent. We didn't get nearly that high or that low. Uh, you ended up three hundred sixty ninth placed, losing two point three percent of your money. Okay, and and then I ended up a hundred sixth, so almost cracked the top hundred, uh, up one point nine seven percent. So, wow. So you you were one percent, and you didn't make the top hundred. And number one was thirty six percent. So, wow, some some significant gains for our top one hundred. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I, nice. I came into this competition wanting to beat you, and um, I did that. So I'll I'll be happy with that. But I think what we learned is that there are people far better at this than we are, and so <laughs> yes. hopefully they continue to listen, but uh, understand if they they don't feel the need to. 
<laughs> but also really interested to know what their longer term approach is as well because we've made it very clear that this isn't our style of investing Ren, and i'm sure um the guys that have come out on top maybe they have a different approach so we will definitely try and get in contact with our top 10 uh just also to validate that they are uni students and whatnot but we'll really try and extract some of the strategy that they had over the last six weeks and and get it all compiled in together and and share it with everyone in due course so we will be announcing the winner once we do finalize all the results and figures in the in the coming week and uh, we'll also be re-announcing it at our party on the 4th of May in Sydney so come along to that if you can if you're in Sydney uh, we have a location now we'll be revealing that on our socials this week as well it's because it's coming up very quickly Ren. it really is it really is we better start uh Getting a you know set times and run sheet and <laughs> well you do it playing playing a song or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. DJ yeah <laughs> quickly then back on to portfolio what was your star performing stock uh, so it was Dell and that that was a classic example of luck more than skill but I bought it I think week two or three of the competition and I put a stop loss in I bought it with a couple of other tech companies and. They got stopped out, but Dell just kept slowly ticking up. So not one that I expected at all, but it did all right for me. What about you? Uh, mine was the Ultra Pro QQQ. It's a three times leveraged NASDAQ 100. Bought that on day one. It's up 18%. So that was an absolute screamer for me. However, as you know, I'm down 2%, and that's because of my specky pick, Sibanye Gold Limited, a South African gold company, down 18% as well, <laughs> and I had a few other little losses in there, so should have stuck to my guns. Yeah, should have, should have. All right, well, I think, look, I think that was, it was a good competition. We both learned a lot, and hopefully we got some people interested in investing and maybe even interested in this podcast. If you just joined us for the competition, hopefully you stick around. We'll keep doing, you know, Basics 101. We'll keep doing deep dives into different industries and looking at different markets. So if we've piqued your interest in investing, hopefully we can sustain it now up beyond the competition. Yeah, that's a big win for us. We wanted to encourage as many people to get into the markets as they can because as we've always said, Ren, there is no better lesson than to be in it and learn learn the ropes as you go. You can always do paper trading or read as many books, but it's not until you're in there that you really understand how you're going to react to the market and, and you just start going down rabbit holes, which is the best way to do it in my opinion. So, yeah, nice, Ren. It's been fun. Hopefully, it's not the first and last time that we do Australia's Next Top Trader. There's been some interest from non-university students um, and other members of the community to play and have a crack at winning first prize to New York City and the New York Stock Exchange. So, we'll endeavor to hopefully do it again at some stage in the future. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, it's been fun, Ren. Congratulations, you beat me. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go have a sulk now. <laughs> no. um, but if there's anything else you want to add, let us know. Otherwise, we'll chat next week. No, let's chat Well, later this week. Yeah, true. Yeah. Later this week because we are doing our new format from now on, back to old school equimates, as you said, uh, twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. So we'll chat on Thursday. Sounds good. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so we have come to the end of Australia's Next Top Trader. As you would have heard, Ren and I uh, gave a bit of a market update and a bit of a wrap of how our portfolio has performed and uh, how we have seen the market play out over the last six weeks. But uh, for the last time, for the competition, we're joined by Matt Leibowitz, CEO and expert trader at Stake. Uh, Thanks for coming on and and, uh, joining us on this episode, Matt. Uh, G'day, Bryce. Thanks for having me. So we, uh, we... haven't checked in with you for a couple of weeks. We thought we'd leave it and do a bit of a summation at the end of the competition. Um, you know, we started off with your views on the market right back in March 11 was when we kicked off. And you mentioned that, you know, we were obviously in a bit of a bull run since the end of December, um, but you were not necessarily concerned, but uh, a bit nervous about how the market might play out over the over the next six weeks. But uh, you also had a, a strong view on, on marijuana and, and weed, and it was in a bit of a bull run as well. So before we jump into the nitty gritty, let's just start with a broader view on the market. I'm, I'm wondering if your view has changed much over the six weeks of trading that we've had. Uh, I think the market's up sort of 7% over the six weeks, which is a really strong, you know, performance. I mean, markets generally move on average around 7% up a year if you sort of look at the last sort of 50 years. So that's what? a, you know, that's a great result for the market wow. in a six-week period. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still still feeling like it's toppy, but at the same time, it keeps proving me wrong. So I'd rather be long than short right now. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that. It's it's a really confusing time at the moment, you've got a lot of analysts talking about, you know, that they think growth, you know, coming in the next sort of year is, is going to be somewhat subdued. Companies aren't going to be reporting and, and beating expectations like they have been over the last few years. But the reporting seasons that we've seen over the last sort of quarter and the wrap up of 2018, they're certainly exceeding market expectations. So it's creating a bit of environment that is somewhat confusing um, to invest in. Um, so I'm wondering what your sort of strategy is over the next, say, let's say if we're going to do this again for six weeks, would you be, I guess, the same sort of, uh, strategy? (laughs) Yeah, no, um, I mean, the way I look at it is, is really clear. You, you only respond when you've got confirmation that it's actually turned against you. So you don't get out of a trade until you've been proven incorrect. If you, so Right now, if you're making money on the long side, stay on the long side until you're not. Mm. So speaking- I think there's a great saying, it's um, stick with a trend until it bends at the end. <laughs> nice. So it hasn't bent yet. <laughs> so, so speaking of long, you recommended, well, not recommended, but we discussed uh, QQQ or TQQQ, I think it was right at the start of the competition, uh, a stock that is uh, three times leverage the returns of the NASDAQ uh, 100. And it is up uh, just under 20% since the start of the competition. So that's a stock that has certainly uh, benefited those that took the long mindset. And I think one of our traders in the top three, he was long TQQQ. So a very successful trade for him. Um, Briefly, you you were very bullish on the weed sector, cannabis sector, um, at the start of the competition. Has much changed in that space, to be honest. I haven't really followed it. Um, Just interested to know... Uh, if if much has changed, uh, not materially. I think we had a couple of bad reports um, for some newly listed stocks. Um, CanTrust was one. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was overly bullish, but I think it was a very hot space with a lot of activity. And there's a little bit of maturity in the space where you see some stocks going up and down. Mm, Double yeah. IPR was my choice. Yeah, up ten percent, and that's up ten percent. But there were other stocks that, in that space that fell um, significantly more. So I wouldn't get overly excited about the weed space, but I, I think it's really a, an individual stock basis. 
the whole space is still interesting and there's still a lot to unfold in the weed space. So it's just a sort of watch and see sort of approach with, with that na- those names. So Ren and I um, reviewed some of the stock picks that we spoke about over the last six weeks. So we, we won't go into too much detail about those, but as you said, IIPR was up 10% and another good one of yours was Ulta Salon uh, up 13%, uh, the the one that you were walking past every day while you're in <laughs> Chicago. So yeah, it's one got wrong, <laughs> still going strong. But what, something that we touched on, on this morning is the IPO space. And uh, as we discussed, I think a couple of weeks ago, there's a, there were some really big IPOs coming and we were fortunate enough to have one of them during the competition, which was Lyft, uh, now available on stake. And since then, we've had a couple of others. So I'd, I'd really like to get your opinion on your strategy when it comes to IPOs. Obviously, there's a lot of hype around them, uh, particularly Lyft. We've got Uber coming. Uh, CanTrust was another one that happened just before we started the competition. Uh, and then there's Pinterest and Zoom as well. Um, what, what's your sort of strategy when it comes to these sorts of things? For example, Lyft, huge amount of hype, but it's now down 25%. So you'd be pretty disappointed if you got into that. Yeah, IPOs are really interesting. And I think Australians you know, majority Australian audience we're speaking to, there's a real affinity towards IPOs in Australia purely because a lot of people got into the market for the first time with IPOs, you know, when Telstra was, you know, it was Telecom Australia way back and became Telstra at IPO, Commonwealth Bank IPO'd, mm. and every Australian got access to these names. And, you know, they, you can probably ask your parents who bought, you know, gone to those IPOs how much money they've made on those. Yeah. And so people get very excited about IPOs because it's the you're getting something essentially that no one else. It's 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 quite exclusive in a way when you actually access an IPO and then it lists on the market. Mm. Uh, my strategy, which will be different to everyone else's, you know, some people have got great access to their broker or to an investment bank that's doing a listing, and they can get access to IPOs. If you don't have that, which a lot of people don't, no, ninety nine percent of people don't, is to really. Just for mine's a wait and see approach. I want to see a lot more transparency. I want to see how the stock's trading. I want to give it some time uh, because it just gives me the feedback of actually how this thing's going to respond. You can look at the numbers in a, in a you know in a in a listing document, but it doesn't tell you how the market's going to respond to it. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one. I like the word transparency there. I was speaking with Ren and I think, and, and you just before we started with the way that Uber are going about their IPO. And it seems to me, obviously, they are just trying to value the company as high as they possibly can so that early investors who have been pouring money into it over the last few years, I guess they just want to get an exit, um, get their money back and run for the hills. I don't know if that's what they necessarily want to do, but you know, there's incentives for the CEO to get $100 million if he can get a valuation of $120 billion and it stays like that for 90 days. And you re- I'm reading in the paper that uh, Uber next week are going to be giving out $420 million in cash bonuses to their top performing drivers in the hope that they will then use that money to invest in the IPO and, and drive up demand for the stock that way. So it's a really interesting one in terms of understanding where the motives of the company. And, and if you don't really know, you could get seriously burnt going into a, an early stage IPO. Do you have a, a thoughts on the Uber? My first thought is you're incredibly cynical. Um, <laughs> well, I mean... That's not bad. <laughs> You know, there's, there is some level of transparency. Before a stock lists, what happens is there's what's called a book bill. Okay. So the lead investors, investment banks, so, you know, the big banks you can think of, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Citibank, for example, um, Morgan Stanley in America will go around and they'll speak to asset managers, institutions, brokers, and they'll try price the thing. So they generally give a approximate value. So... For example, Pinterest was looking at twenty dollars. I think I got it away at seventeen or something. I may I may have got that wrong with Zoom, but um, so so what happens is there is some level of bidding before. But obviously, if you're an investor who's been in a name like Uber, for example, for four to five years, and you've been in in the private market, there's only been a few ways to get out. I.e., someone comes in and offers to buy it off market, which is a complex process. But the best way to get a liquidity event is for someone to buy out the whole company. And in the case of Uber, 
the size of it makes it nearly impossible. Yeah. Or is to take the thing public and finally get some cash out of the business, especially when the thing is loss making. You're either going to be having to continue to put money into the business to support its ongoing, you know, being an ongoing business. So you're going to, you know, that you're going to have to dip your hand into your pockets again. So a lot of the investors are probably really looking forward to getting out into the market so they can actually re- get out of the stock. So the only option for something like an Uber is to list. And obviously, they want to get their shareholders the best price. That's what they're looking to do. So there's, therefore, you have to have some level of, you know, you have to be cynical about it to some extent. But all those other things, you know, there's these are pretty well-regulated markets. I don't think people can sort of behave like that, or I hope they wouldn't. Yeah. It's interesting. The, from what I've been reading, the the d- direction I guess they're giving to their CEO in terms of uh, compensation for the float is, as I said, $100 million, but it's also $100 million if he does find a, a buyer just to buy out the whole company, but it'd be hard to imagine who who that would necessarily be. As you said, $120 is a lot of money to outlay on a loss on a loss making company at this stage (laughs) yeah yeah we're almost there so (laughs) let's talk uh, a couple of others so pinterest it's ipo'd i think ren said 10 10 billion or something no pinterest was up significantly on the first day it's up just 28 and a half percent after listing so that was a great result for those that were in the in before it actually went public yeah and where it's is it now? It's actually got an interesting story to it. It hasn't really grown um, really, really fast. It's been, you know, Pinterest has been around for a while, and it, it seems to obviously be something that investors want to support. It's a popular name. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't really know much about the company behind the scenes, but obviously if you're up 28.5% on your first day, you're going to be pretty happy being a, a shareholder of that. Yeah, absolutely. So Zoom as well, It's has it – it listed on the same day as um, Pinterest. Okay, interesting. As well. So under the code ZM, Zoom Video Communications. It's actually an interesting story. There was another stock called Zoom, and it was up 1,000%, but it was a penny oh. stock. Oh, wow. So they could have been no, some excited investors. A shareholder in the penny stock Zoom. <laughs> Imagine if you accidentally <laughs> bought that one. Wrong, <laughs> those people reached the wrong stock code. <laughs> that would be so awesome. There's ZM and there's Zoom. So <laughs> sometimes it, it pays to be... Second. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, Zoom was up $26, which is 72% from its listing price, which is phenomenal. Whoa. On the it's first day or? On day one. Whoa. Now, Zoom is profitable. And a lot of the IPOs you've been seeing in the last, what is it, year, been incredibly unprofitable businesses. Yeah. Big tech companies. Uh, yeah. So they've. Mm. I, I think the return on unprofitable companies has been higher than profitable companies. That's because people are obviously paying for growth. But I think there's been a shift recently. And the fact that you're seeing a lot of unprofitable businesses list gives me a sense. That also makes me a little bit nervous about the heart of the market. People are looking for it as an opportunity to cash out while the market is hot, yeah. per se, yeah. and then leave the, leave the stock in the hands of people that don't really know the full story behind the business. That's, that's a cynical way to look at it, but... No, I, I totally agree with that, uh, you know, that mindset that it's sort of like the, the tech boom. Everyone was uh, <clears throat> cashing in while people were ready to sort of splash some cash and uh, unfortunately it all came crashing down. So well, The numbers are very similar in terms of the number of companies listing between 99, around 99 and, and 2018, 2019. So they haven't, sort of, they haven't seen this sort of activity in the listed market since, you know, 20 years ago. So I don't know if it's history repeating, but it's just something to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. So I take it then, uh, have you got in on any of these or or are you still just sitting back to see what happens? Is this not really your your domain at the moment? No, not my domain. There's people that are a lot better that can – I can't really read balance sheets and get a good sense. My – the way I like to invest is based on what people are actually doing, what they're buying and selling. Yeah, so you want a bit more history. Taking a – you know – asking someone with my attention span to read a financial <laughs> statement and deep dive into a company is probably not a good it's – not, it's not my personality. At the end of the day, you need to tr- invest and trade according to that personality. So there are some people that love this stuff and are really good at it and they should keep doing it. There are some people that aren't like me and they shouldn't do it. Mm, so, mm. Simple as that. So 
I guess from a lesson perspective, uh, Ren and I were talking this morning, there's a few things that we learnt from, from this competition and, and carrying off the competition that we participated in when Stake did their rebrand and we uh, played a game for a couple of weeks. Um, combined with this one, we feel like we're certainly learning a lot more about how to uh, control our trades in a, in a six-week period or a, a shorter period of time. It's something that, as you know, it's not our preferred style of investing i guess we're much more longer term focused but i've certainly really enjoyed uh, the aspect of looking for stocks with momentum and that investors are really i guess getting behind um, looking at averages and and that sort of stuff and it's been a good learning experience for us for those investors that have just started though and dipped their tone to to the water and they may have lost out uh, lost a bit of money some i hope have done reasonably well do you have any sort of lessons on what they could do from here like comps over i guess a bit of the momentum could die um what would be sort of some tips for from you to keep them enthused and, and going just to stick at it the market is it moves every single you don't need to be in a competition to enjoy and the challenge of the share market. You wake up again, the US market's open on Monday while Australia's um, closed for a public holiday. <laughs> so, you know, on Monday night, the US market reopens and it's game on again. You're, mm. you've, got, you've got skin in the game. Mm. You, it, you know, the, the competition is just a small window into your total investing life. And you need to look at this holistically. It's just such an, it's just, it's so awesome. You know, you wake up every day or you stay up late and you see what the, see what the world's doing and you're in that Coliseum. So yeah. it doesn't matter if you're, I, I mean, for me, it's about being engaged with the market. So the fa- the six week competition is really good to see what are the, what are the, you know, what are things that move over a short period of time? How do things respond? What are the trends in the market? It's just a little snapshot. It really should just be the first step in your entire investment journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to to come back in on Monday, you're still in a competition. You just may not be on a leaderboard, but you are competing against yourself every single day, and that's how they need to look at it. And, yeah, you raise a good point. Six weeks, I I don't want to discourage anyone if they didn't do so well in six-week period because, as you always say, you know, you, you've got to find the style that works best for you, and that might take a few few years to even f- figure out what that is. So, right. if you, I wouldn't even call it years; it's a lifetime. Lifetime, journey. yeah. So, I mean, if you feel like it wasn't your your jam or your thing over a six week period, then, as Matt said, certainly stick to it um, because it's all about just starting. And I, I hope that's what we've achieved, um, and I'm sure you agree, Matt. Um, no, totally. I think you know this. This whole experience is really just to get you into the market. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, someone is going to win, and that they may be the best investor of all time. The likelihood is they're going to, they're always going to be learning. A lot of things need to go your way in six weeks for you to win. Yeah, I think we yeah. we yeah. may have found the next Warren Buffett. Who knows? Absolutely, <laughs> we found the next ten of them. True. So, Matt. Um, We'd love to announce who the winner is because uh, they've done incredibly well over a six-week period. I'm very jealous of the returns that they've made. And, well, to be honest, the top 10 and 20 have done extraordinarily well for the time period. Um, And we'll dive a bit deeper into that later this week. So we'll finalise up the numbers with with Stake and and then uh, we'll jump back on uh, later this week, Matt, and uh, actually do the big reveal, see who we're sending to New York and the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and also have a bit of a review on what were some of the trades that our, our leaders made and what were some of the stocks that they were buying into. Um, I think I'm going to have to get them on. Absolutely. We'll endeavor to get in touch with them over the next couple of days, uh, and then later this week, we should hopefully be able to have a bit of a roundtable with them all. It's awesome. There's going to be a lot of great lessons there. It's just exciting to see so many people do so well, and even people that didn't, just being in the market and learning how things work. It's You can't beat that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd just like to say a, a massive thank you to you and Stake for supporting this competition and uh, obviously providing us with the awesome prize, um, and we will uh, endeavour to get the other guys on the show so that we can sit down and, and pick their brains. Um, but yeah, a massive thank you. Um, we couldn't obviously have done it without you. Um, and I'm sure, as we've said, that this will hopefully not be the last time that we can do something like this. So uh, thanks for your time over the last six weeks as well. And, I'm, and I know that a lot of our listeners have really appreciated 
um, your advice and your stock picks, um, be, be them uh, good or bad, they were definitely a really good insight into the way that you think in, and look at the market. So much, much appreciated. Oh no, absolutely, we absolutely loved it. And for us, this is this is why we're here, really, to get people into the market and you know being able to share the energy of what it is. And it's as I said, it's a Hopefully, for a lot of people, it's the first of a great journey for them. And if we can be part of that, then we're um, we're really we're really proud of that. So thanks for your support as well. We really appreciate it as well. No, all good. So if you're if you are just tuning into the show and you're interested to know what we're talking about, um, you can sign up to stake and start trading the U.S. markets um, at any stage. Uh, Zero dollar brokerage. Head to stake.com.au and uh, you can sign up and get trading. So. Matt, we'll check in later this week. Um, so thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Bryce. Good on you. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity mates. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.